Welcome to another episode of B2B Nation, the official technology advice podcast for sales and marketing professionals. I'm your host, Chris Kleinfelter, and I recently had the opportunity to take part in an expert roundtable discussion at the CEB Sales and Marketing Summit in Las Vegas, Nevada. The roundtable was hosted by Brent Adamson, the co-author of The Challenger Customer in The Challenger Sale, and the roundtable featured Nick Toman, the head of the Sales Leadership Council at CEB, author Jill Conrath, and Lori Richardson, the CEO of Score More Sales. The roundtable itself is broken up into three sections. The first section discusses how complex B2B sales is today, with a specific focus on internal complexity for sales within the organization. Salespeople are having to switch between LinkedIn and their CRM platform and email and so on, leading to a lot of distractions. Salespeople are busy, but it's argued that they're not necessarily productive. The first section begins with Jill discussing how complex the job is for an individual salesman. One of the things that's been top of mind for me is what's happening from an individual seller's perspective and, and how complex their job is and as a result of the world that they exist in on a daily basis. And by that, I mean they live in their CRM, they live on the phone, they live online, they live in LinkedIn, they live in, all, you know, they're all over the place in all these different tools all day long. And what I'm really seeing is a, a, just a sheer exhaustion for the kind of work that they have to do from bouncing back and forth. It's, it's like an age of distraction that we're living in. And, yeah. and uh, they're really struggling with the distraction, but they don't even realize it because it's just how they're working today. And it's so impacting productivity that it is uh, a major source of, of gain. An organization can easily pick up an hour or two a day per sales rep by changing how they work, not adding anything, yeah. but changing how they work. You know, i got to imagine that kind of world. Every single professional, sales professional any of us would talk to would all agree, I am incredibly busy. I don't know if they would all agree I'm incredibly productive. No, when, and they are incredibly busy. And most yeah. salespeople I talk to right now are, are literally talking. I'm working day to night, morning yeah. to night. I'm, you know, first thing in the morning, I roll out of bed and I do email triage. And then I go get the coffee going. And, and uh, as soon as I get to the office, I open my computer up and I log on and boom, my world takes off and, and I'm still checking email at 9.30 at night. Completely hear you. I want to, want to get into a little bit about what do we do in this environment to sort of manage that kind of complexity. But first, maybe, Lori, we can come to you and talk a little bit. What are, what are you seeing in this environment? Sure. Uh, it, it's funny. Jill mentioned exhaustion. And the word that came to my, my mind when I was thinking was frustration. Because I, I work with a lot of companies outside of the technology bubble. And, and these are people in manufacturing and distribution and... Um, you know, professional services, and they have too many tools, uh, not enough time, and uh, they they just can't get everything done. So, they're they're getting extremely frustrated. Um, couple that with the issues within the company itself, uh, and then there's leadership. We have leadership issues, and and you put it all together, and and I think you said it well when you said it's hard to be a seller. Uh, you know, absolutely. I find the, the same thing we're seeing in, in our research, Nick. If you think about sort of what we're seeing here at CB and the Sales Leadership Council and all the work that we've done in B2B sales organizations and the complexity of the deals they're doing, uh, we're seeing sort of the, the, the themes that Lori and Jill, you've mentioned sort of the individual level we see play out at the organizational level, don't we? Yeah, there's this, it's, it's almost like a flywheel effect that's happening where we look at the complexity of the sales reps world today 
and organizationally, <clears throat> I think you see heads of sales and heads of sales enablement and operations want to add support to help their reps cope with this complexity. And there's this sort of deep-rooted irony that when we add more tools and add more support and add more people into this equation, it's ultimately backfiring. And so you just start this flywheel effect where it just compounds on itself. And some of our latest data, just for example, um, show us that the average opportunity requires 4.3 colleagues internally to help in some capacity navigate that deal to closure. Um, we see 8.5 technologies required, right? And this is just on average, right? There's extreme examples out there where you're talking, you know, in some cases, a couple dozen tools um, that might be required to move a deal all the way through um, the pipeline. And the net, <clears throat> the net effect of all that is the average seller has what we would classify um, as support touch points, uh, 340 support touch points they have to navigate in a given month to get their job done. And so it's, it's just this absolute sort of compounding effect, all done with the best of intentions organizationally to help salespeople, but it just adds drag, it adds burden to the seller's lives. And there's this sort of deep, just very deep-rooted irony to the whole thing. It's very, very difficult to kind of knock that flywheel out of, out of rhythm and get it to slow down again. What do you do in a world when all the help that we've provided to support reps in a very complex environment makes that environment that much more complex, right? It's a, it's a tough question. Indeed. You know, the, uh, the, there's kind of two knock-on effects that, that, that I've found in talking about the, our research with members around the, the, the world that I find incredibly fascinating as a researcher, incredibly troubling if you're a sales leader, which is one is uh, this tendency of individual sales reps struggling in this environment to deal with all this complexity. And they kind of look around in the environment that you, you know, Nick, that you suggested, which is, you know, I don't see my company as helping me in this environment. I see them in many ways getting in the way of just making it that much more complex. Clearly, it's really hard here. I'll go somewhere else. And of course, they go somewhere else. And what do they find? It's equally complex. It's just right? as complex. It's just as complex. Right. And so, and, and then you, so, and, and everybody loses that environment, right? So yeah. the, the, the organization loses their sales reps who go somewhere else. Not the, and the cost them. of turnover is just empty astro territories, it's right? astronomical. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that sales reps no happier where they've gone. They're just as yeah. disengaged in their new job as they were in the old one. This is a lose-lose kind of scenario. You know, the other thing though I find is interesting at the organizational level is that the, um, that leaders will look at sales reps struggling in this environment and they, they're quick to judge at the individual level. And they say, wow, the sales rep is really struggling. They must not be able to cut it. They it's must not be cut out for this environment. And so I've got, so we almost immediately diagnose it as an individual skill problem as opposed to an environmental problem. Lori, are you seeing something like that too? It's just yeah, we, we do see that. And, and I think when you can put some clear process in a place, and some clear expectations. I mean, the first thing when someone comes on board in a sales role at your company, they should learn about their buyer. I mean, we've been, you've been talking about that for two days. And, and if we could focus on the bigger picture and then work down to from there, here is how we're going to interact with them and here's, here's our playbook and give some real specifics rather than what I've seen too often, which is no set process no you know it depends on the time of the year the time of the month you know w what quarter it is whether it's the end of the quarter and it's you know it, it gives you results that are not consistent and so that's something that, that I think the organization could definitely work on and that comes from the top from leadership 
completely agree. So let me, let's do this. Let's, uh, so we've kind of laid out the problem. Let's go around the room and think about what's one piece of advice that you might give to either an individual sales professional or to a sales leadership team uh, to help them navigate what we've now outlined as, frankly, a pretty grim environment. So, yeah. so let's, let's offer some I help. So, so Jill, maybe you, we'll start with you. What I'm really talking with people about these days is the need to rethink their habits and how they're working because the way they're working isn't working and and if you can take a look at somebody that goes into the office and jumps themselves right into email and and bounces all day around from here to there they don't know that what they're doing is not productive and so what needs to be done is there needs to literally be an education about how we work in this office, in this company, so that we're able to, A, get more done during the course of a day. But I think it even goes beyond that because right now, with the complexity of the sale and the need for salespeople to bring their customers' ideas, insights, and information all the time, and for the need of salespeople to be strategic to do this, we need salespeople who are at the top of their game mentally. Yeah. Okay, so what happens if somebody's bouncing around, it's actually hurting their ability to be strategic. Their intelligence goes down. They, they're stupider than they were before. And I literally mean there's research that shows that their IQ literally goes down. I mean, a Harvard MBA who's bouncing around and texting and emails during the course of a day can go from a Harvard MBA brain to an eight-year-old brain because they're literally bouncing, which means yeah. they're not strategic. They're not thinking the thoughts that they need to be thinking in order to capture somebody's attention, to keep it, to move things along. So you asked me, yeah. what do I recommend? Yeah, what's, give me a piece of advice. Okay, number one, yeah. don't start your day with email. Hmm. Don't start your day with email. Something as simple as that. If you need to do email triage, that's fine. Right, but I'm the, already toast. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. But, and you so feel like I'm you gonna, have to, but you know what? I don't what? even turn my light on. I'm already doing email. Yeah, I know. And you <laughs> right. know what? How yeah. much of that is urgent right now? And you just jumped mm. into somebody else's agenda. Yeah. You jumped into yeah. somebody else's agenda, and boom, you go down the rabbit hole doing things that other people set up for you today, as opposed to thinking, taking a few minutes at the beginning of the day and just sitting there and thinking, okay, what are the three most important things I need to focus on today and getting to work on at least one of them? I can't tell you how many customers really don't need you to respond right away. Really, really don't, Brad. I mean, they honestly don't. And yet research shows that the average person is responding to emails within six seconds. It's killing their mental capacity. And, and you know that they know you opened it, too. They know. I know. <laughs> I know. Part. So now it's even worse. Now, right? I know. <laughs> Uh, so, so Nick, what about so uh, we're going to come back. So this is the kind of advice we need because it's so hard to follow, isn't it? So, Nick, what about the organizational level? So now we've got because right, we're between a rock and a hard place there too, right? Which is uh, you know, the, the the help I'm offering is actually making it worse. So, I, but I can't stop offering help, right? So, what what now? Yeah, and, and <clears throat> it is. I think I think the the mantra we talk about a lot, and, and you see it in certain companies. In fact, where where kind of the root of this thinking comes from is often more in product development uh, uh, environments where companies focus on developing really simple products and they stay extremely focused on what does a product really need to do and what does it, what does it not need to do, right? What's additive or extra? You think about products like Apple or Google's products and you see companies taking that philosophy or that way of thinking into their sales operations, into the sales tools, into the ecosystem of support they're putting in front of their frontline teams and really saying, look, how can we 
ruthlessly simplify the support we're offering to the points you know, where reps need that support most and anything else that's additive or noise or marginally impactful, let's, let's, be, let's be judicious about getting that out of the system. Even if it looks good on paper. Even if it looks good on paper and even if yeah. the ROI is so incredibly clear uh, uh, on paper because what happens on paper, right, and what happens in reality comes very, very disjointed oftentimes. And so I, I love this notion of, of ruthlessly simplify. And in fact, there's companies we've worked with and seen where they've, you know, they've kind of looked at the ecosystem of support and said, gee, we have you know, 25, 30 legacy systems. Our goal is to get that down to three systems where workflow occurs. Um, you know, CDW is one of the companies we've seen do this and just be judicious about moving everything into, you know, as much as they can in their case into CRM to create a common, simple workflow that's supported by the CRM tool where they're moving in and out of different disparate systems and being just as judicious as they can about keeping it easy and streamlined for their sellers to engage with what they need to engage with and nothing more. Yeah, you know, it's funny. CDW is a great example of that because you know that the, 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 the phrase, the, the term that they use at CDW about complexity is calories. And they simply ask, how many calories That's must right. a sales rep burn in order to get a deal done? And it's a mental calories. And so if I come back and take your point, and they can put it together, Jill, with yours, it's kind of the same word in my mind comes together for each of them, which is the word focus, right? So how, what can right. we do to focus the organization on those few things that simplify my perspective and know that I should, like, it's, yes, everything's important. It's all important, but it's these two things that matter most. And Jill, same thing, right? So, I, so what are the things that, you know, what can I cut out? Because it's not, it's all important, but it can't all be important. It can't right? all be important, and right. it can't be all, all important now. Yes. So, I mean, the Absolutely. question to be asking is, you know, what is important now? What can wait for later? And then to be focusing on the most important thing at this particular moment in time. Totally I mean, agree. And who, yeah. determines, who determines that, what's most important? Well, sometimes I think the, the leadership team has to really I help agree. the salespeople. I don't think it's a question of leaving things up to sales because you get a hundred different, a thousand yeah, if different you ask opinions. E even deals, you know, yeah. which deals are most important? It, do you have a way of measuring them and, and rating them? Because if you don't, people are going to be all over the board. There's just so much going on. Agreed. So, in fact, Lori, let me come back to you. So, maybe then we'll wrap up this first of our three sessions, our sections of our, our discussion. But you'd start a little bit with the customer. So, if you if you were to think about with that one sort of practical, tactical tip to help either sales reps or sales organizations in this kind of complex environment, what would you boil it down to? Would you start go back to customer and start there, or would you do something other tip? I, I'd have to go internally. I, I mean, I have to say when I saw all the touch points, and I sat by someone yesterday who had 500 touch points. And, and I, I almost cried <laughs> because, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of like when you're, you're on a sports team and you're at, at the away game and everyone's booing you. Well, that's fine. But when you're at the home game and they're booing you, that's a problem, you know. So you, you've got to get the support internally. And I think a lot, a lot of companies could, could work on that. I think you're right. So if, if we think about sort of taking this part of our discussion and putting it together, uh, we've landed in a couple places. One is more is not always better. In fact, more is nothing more than more in many cases. And so the question is, how do we operate an environment of less? Because uh, that is, in fact, the way that we're going to win in this world. How do we simplify the seller's life? How do we simplify the sales process? How do we simplify everything that we're doing? Because if we don't, we're actually going to wind up uh, just exacerbating the very problem we're looking to solve. The second section of the roundtable dives into the external complexity for sales and how complexity on the customer side impacts salespeople and how they sell. 
the notion of empathy is also discussed and how projecting yourself into the lives of a customer to better understand what it feels like to be in their day-to-day and know their stressors is becoming even more important today. Jill discusses a sales experiment that tested a group that sells as they normally would versus a group that was specifically tasked with empathizing with what customers are feeling and a group that was tasked with taking more time to sit and think about what the buyer is thinking about. To me, the conclusion of this test came out exactly as expected. The control group, which was selling normally, performed the worst. Uh, The group tasked with displaying more empathy to customers performed well, better than the control group, but not as well as the group tasked with thinking about what customers are thinking about. As feeling empathy for customers is definitely important, spending time thinking about what potential and current customers are thinking about and struggling with is of vital importance for sales teams today. Uh, The second section is really good. It starts with Lori discussing her take on the complexity on the customer side and how it impacts sales. Well, when we're starting with the buyer's journey, that opens things up because a lot of sellers don't know how to do that. They don't know how to add value and how to make good use of the, the buyer's time. So this is a problem for new salespeople, but it's also a tremendous problem for those that have been selling for quite some time because we have to retrain them. And we have to train them on what it is that our buyers need to know. So they think they might know everything, but in fact, we have to do a little challenging, right? And so um, I I think that those are the issues that, that really should be focused on. And Jill, what about you? And so we, again, we're talking about complexity. Uh, are, are, is your work more recently focused largely on internal complexity, or is it internal and external customers? It driven. How do you put those two together in your mind and think about the <laughs> customer complexity story and how it's impacting individual well, sellers? Well, to me, everything's about the customer. I mean, I, don't yeah. think, I, I think it's all based on the customer, sure. and that's where we're here to serve the customer. And like Lori was just saying, until people really understand, you know, who this buyer is and what their needs are. Um, Nothing matters, but I really, really think that buyers' expectations have changed significantly yeah. for salespeople, and most salespeople are not uh, prepared to deal Tell with it. Tell me more. So which expectations in particular do you think? Well, the fact that, number one, they expect you to add value in every <laughs> single interaction. Yeah. And, and unless you're doing something in every single uh, phone call, email, meeting, yep. you know, anything that you send or do or with people or interact with them, unless it adds value, you're not worth having in the conversation. I mean, you're just not worth being around. So knowing that, your salesperson has to be really smart about a lot of things that they've never been smart about. And not just the buyer's journey, but the buyer's world, what's happening in their organization, their issues and challenges, uh, what's on their plate, uh, their priorities. They have to be really cognizant of how changing things in the in the economy and in their com- their business or even the industry are impacting their customer and they have to be able to tailor their their messaging and their <laughs> their messaging their conversations they need to tailor it all so it fits and so it ties in exactly yeah. with what people are talking about it it's really takes a lot of work and a distracted mind <laughs> It's not capable of doing that I, well. You know, I, you're absolutely right. I, mean, I, I come back to that over and over. Yeah. This is why we need to have people being able to focus so much more during their workday and not bouncing from you know, CRM to email to this and that. They need to be able to focus so that they can 
A, research this stuff and learn it, and then pull it together in a way that their buyer will go, oh, this is interesting. This well, is interesting. Let me, let me if I could, Laurie, because I want to throw this idea, and then I want to get your reaction to it, and Jill, yours too. But the, um, because there, there's, you just in, used an interesting uh, word, which is right, and it's a word we've always used for years, right? Research and understanding. Right. There's another word I want to throw out on the table and get your reaction to, which is in that world that you just, both of you just described, and understanding customers and, and understanding what they're working on, their priorities and what they've got to do. In some ways, that's as old as sales as, as, as itself, I guess, but in many ways, it's become significantly more complex. But here's the word. It feels to me, I think, in this, word, in this world, empathy becomes incredibly important. It's not just your ability to understand your customer at sort of a business level, but to be able to effectively project yourself into their shoes or into their lives and say, what does it feel like to be in, in that environment? What does it feel like to, to, you know, what stresses are they facing? What, what pressures are they under? I, it's, it's more of a personal conclusion than one from CEB research per se, this word empathy, but I find myself coming back to it more and more often now. I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Is that something that resonates with you, Lori? Is it is a word on top of mind for you? Yeah, I think it's, it's part of really putting yourself in their world. Yeah. And so in order to do that, you do need to know how they feel. We, we know that people buy emotionally. And, and we need to know what their world is like, what their life is like, and, and not just what our product or service might be able to do for them but really not lead the witness and, and really find out and learn more about them. And what I was thinking when Jill was talking was that's just one buyer. Think about the, what do we have, another 5.8 now to, to deal with. And, and that's an awful lot of complexity. Yeah, and, and again, they're, they're struggling with the complexity too, aren't they? Right. So, Jill, it's, it's, I'm going to weigh in on this because yeah, I, yeah. I have a counterpoint. point. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. That's okay. why we're here. And, yeah. I, and I'm just, I just finished yeah. reading a study recently um, from some researchers out of France, and it was a study on negotiation and the success of negotiations. Well, and we they, know how that well that went in France, but that's okay. <laughs> this was a sales study. Oh, okay. <laughs> just. Sorry. I'm here all week. So, all right. So anyway, three Literally. groups in, in this, and and yeah. one, you know, one was. Okay, three groups, yeah. and each of these groups had buyers and sellers. And in group yeah. one, they were just told, you go and negotiate a deal. Buyers, you know what you you're want. Sellers, you know what you're trying to achieve in this deal. Go get it. Okay? Yeah. Second group was told, the, buyer, the sellers were told, we want you to empathize. Okay. Empathize yeah. and really feel <laughs> what the buyer is potentially feeling at this moment in time under the, you know, the auspices of this negotiation and tenseness, and I want you to really get in touch yeah. with the emotional stuff yeah. here, you know? Yeah. And then the third group was told, we want you to sit and think as if you were the buyer and really study and think about what is that person thinking about. Now, results of the, the study yeah. is basically the, the control group did whatever they normally did. The group that was focused on empathizing and really feeling yeah. what it is, did better than the control group. Yeah. So it did help. But the real winner was the ones who were really able to sit and think like the buyer. Think. And this yeah. is everything about yeah. what those issues, concerns, yeah. roles, responsibilities, what do they have to do to get it all done, um, what would be a satisfactory conclusion for this negotiation. And in this case, 76% of the people in that negotiation felt that both sides were satisfied there with the go. result of the negotiation. Yeah. So thinking, yeah. thinking, 
is crucial. It's a powerful finding. What it means to me personally is I need to go back to the dictionary and look up the word empathy. Because in my mind, in a lot of ways, I think of empathy as not just the emotional component, but the cognitive side too. But that may okay. be just because I'm mis right. misdefining it. But one way or another, I think we'd all agree it's your ability to place yourself in your customer's shoes. Absolutely. And think about the world right. from their perspective. Nick, we, we've obviously we spent a lot of time at CB studying customer complexity for the better part of, what, three or four years now. What would you pull out as one or two conclusions from that work that, that really strike you as being top of mind and hugely important for leaders? Yeah, I, I think... So if we think about the customer and this notion of empathy, I think understanding what customers are going through when they when they buy something, and, and I would argue not even buy something, just simply make a decision, right? Sit on a committee with a bunch of people and try to make a decision today in today's matrixed or organizations. You just gave me nightmares. Uh, right, right with, with many different kinds of stakeholders, you know, and then add to that you know, some fuel to the fire where a significant you know, amount of spend might be on the table to buy something. It's like you, know, you just wonder how decisions ever get done. Um, and in many cases, they don't, right? A lot of them just fall off the table. But um, what's interesting, I think, is uh, uh, dealing with now, as Lori mentioned, you know, 6.8 different stakeholders, um, representative of uh, 3.7 different functions inside the average buying organization, um, multiple geographies oftentimes playing a role at this, this table, uh, the dynamics become overbearing for customers. And in fact, in many cases, our research shows customers flat out get overwhelmed with the purchase process themselves. And so I think as a, as a salesperson, being empathetic towards that notion becomes important. But I think also understanding how can I simplify their lives, which in turn simplifies my life as a salesperson, right? If I can get the buying group to focus in on the core issues to find some degree of overlap and in agreement around the true business challenge, right? Not everybody's sort of jockeying or vying for sort of their own personal goals or ambitions within the purchase, but really saying, okay, at the, at the core of this, what is the fundamental business issue we're solving? Now, what is the fundamental action we need to take against that business issue? And what's interesting is, is just by simply slowing things down for that buying group, helping them process the information, the competing perspectives, the opinions that this, this particular group has, right? The opinions of other vendors who might be part of this, this consideration. I think we're seeing more and more winning sales behavior based on this ability to slow things down, help the customer process the information, simplify it. And what's interesting is as a salesperson, right, I've stripped out tremendous amounts of noise and variability and all the options and configurations and, and all the different approvals I might have to go back and get from finance on my own organization or the product teams, right? Can you guys support this? They're asking for this now or that now. If you can slow it down for the customer, it makes it so much easier when you go back inside your own four walls to do your own job. And so there's this really interesting phenomena here where, you know, again, kind of goes back to the point we made earlier in the segment here about, about simplifying things and slowing things down. Uh, and those who, who understand how to do it and do it well and in organizations that are enabling their teams to do it and giving them the permission to do it, right, help the customer buy, slow it down for them. You don't have to say yes to every single request. In fact, try to direct the customer in the direction we think they need to go, what's going to be best for their business. Um, that oftentimes alleviates complexity all around. And, yeah. and to me, it's just a very interesting phenomenon. So stop being so responsive. Start being a little bit more prescriptive. Yeah, Jill, you had a thought. Please. Yeah, I do. I mean, what, what we're talking about here is really a different role for salespeople. And so you say, well, what do yeah. we have to do and what does this mean? It's not just simply a function of saying, you know, well, slow it down and do this. You have to teach people how to do this differently because now they are change agents in yeah. an organization and yeah. they are leading a change initiative. This is not something that... So I didn't sign up for that. Right? No, nobody <laughs> signed up for this. And in yeah. a sense, it's, it's um, you're a project manager as well. You're yeah. looking at all the moving parts and you're saying, 
What do we need to do? Who do we need to call in right now? How can I let this group know that they're, they're on hold and this other group needs to come forward and they haven't been involved? And so it's a real very complex project management, change management issue. And the change management, you know, bringing in the, the, um, the components where people have different perspectives yeah. and, and how do we get buy-in in an organization that needs what we have but has such vast and competing opinions about what is going to make a successful solution. So these are new things, new skill sets that salespeople need to be taught, that they're not taught. It's about leading, about guiding, it's about project management as opposed to selling. You know, Jill, I'll never forget, I was in Chicago a couple, about a year ago, I guess, and there was this chief sales officer there, and we were talking about some of these themes, and he looked at me and said, Brent, this doesn't sound like selling, it sounds like marriage counseling. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know what? I told him, I looked at him and said, you know, you're actually not that far off, yeah, because in a lot of ways, it is it is that. So let's do this. So again, let's, let's see if we can bring it back to some real tactical piece of advice, and maybe Nick, I'll start with you, and we'll go Lori, and then and Jill, I'll give you the last word on this, but if you were to boil it down, again, we can talk at the organizational level or at the individual level, wherever you want to jump in, but see, give us some advice. What's one or two pieces of advice that go do this or stop that? What would a stop or a start be for you, Nick? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the strongest recommendation I would make at an organizational level <clears throat> is uh, most organizations have at some level created buying stages, right? Identify the stages with which customers buy. Um, that's not good enough. And, and what I would recommend they do is, is take each one of these buying stages and determine what is the thing that's most likely to bog the customer down, get in their way, delay their progress, confuse them, overwhelm them, and identify that one thing, right? There might be three or four, but find the most urgent, important, most commonly occurring thing that will bog them down and help their sales reps understand what to look out for and give them very practical tools, a diagnostic tool, for example, that helps customer stakeholders get on the same page around the problem, uh, right? Structure a very simple type of working session that the seller might use to go in with that customer and say, look, you guys aren't on the same page around these aspects, X, Y, and Z. Let's sit down and really think through them, right? But give them very tactical guidance to issue to the customer to help the customer get past these complexities of their buying process, right? So just essentially steer them through the purchase process. And if you can map that to the buying process and ultimately to your sales process, suddenly I, as a seller, know what I'm looking for. I can spot it and I can help course correct very quickly. And I think that's probably the, one of the most practical things I would urge organizations to do. So find the buying landmine and diffuse the, the buying landmine would be the way to go. Lori, what's your, what's your one or two stop starts? So how do I, what are tactical advice uh, you might provide? Companies need to have their leaders help the reps focus on what's important. And they need to do that through coaching, through yeah. regular coaching, not when it's convenient, not you know, when are you going to hit your numbers this month? You know, that's not coaching. But to help them navigate on what is important and to help them prioritize. And if they can do that one thing, they can increase revenues dramatically. That is good advice. Jill, I'll give you the last word on this one. What's the your last practical, word. tactical advice Pra <laughs> to deal with customer complexity? Well, I, I honestly believe that the sales is a thinking profession today. Yeah. And, and what we need to do is to continually upskill our sales teams. And so I honest to God think that the most important thing we can do is to turn our sales organizations into continual learning organizations. And, and every time we do something, uh, make it a learning 
uh, event. You know, we failed. What are we learning? We won. Yeah. What are we learning? We ran into obstacles. What are we learning? What can we do? And to get everybody in the organization involved in continuously learning and sharing what they're learning with each other so the whole organization is lifted. And that second word I think is just as important as the first is learning and sharing. And it? sharing, yeah. Yeah. So yes. What do we collectively know? I what think do we collectively important. know? How can we help yeah. each other? How can we all get better together? Yeah, I totally agree. When you, when you think of uh, winning in this environment, it is, in fact, it has to be a team sport. It is. Doesn't it? Yeah. As the previous segment discussed the complexity of the customer, this last segment addresses what sellers should do with their newfound time if they can, in fact, reduce distraction and increase focus in their day. Nick alludes to the challenger sale methodology when he discusses how the best sellers don't focus on freeing up time, focus on what to do with the time they create for themselves. Sellers in early stage selling should be considering how to help potential customers focus on things that they're currently not. You can ask yourself, what are the things customers are underappreciating? What are the problems they haven't fully wrapped their heads around? Finding that initial angle to start conversations with based on the customer's business and not your own interests is crucial. This final segment begins with Lori discussing what sellers should focus on and essentially do with their time should they find added capacity in their day. So if I'm a rep, I need to know what my most important things are to do, my, my big rocks, so to speak, right? And so uh, when I come in in the morning, this isn't something I should have to start figuring out. I should know right when I come in. Maybe my system does it. Maybe my software does it. People have different ways of this happening. Um, but I need to be able to prioritize and, and dive right in. So I think right there, um, assuming we're not opening our email, because we listen to Jill, uh, we're, we're going to look at what our, our, our highest and most important thing is to do and get those things done early. And uh, uh, otherwise, things are just going to, you know, it'll just escape you from there. Which is pretty much how I got to where I am in my life. I've put everything off, and now i got to do it all. Right <laughs> Nick, what do you, what's your thoughts? Because you, I know you've got some thoughts as well in terms of what you might... If I'm going to free up that mental capacity, that, that practical capacity, what do I do with it? Yeah, do we have about an hour? Um, uh, uh, no. <coughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> Ironically, so, so we I will, don't. <laughs> I will try to, be, I try to be brief around this. And I guess, I guess, you know, in the research we've done, we continue to see that the, the best sellers, um, it's really not a product of, of kind of freeing time so much as what they do with that time. And I think that's a lot of what, what Jill's alluded to here. And, and Lori, obviously, um, uh, I, I would completely agree with what you just said. Um, I think the idea, though, of, of really being planful uh, with kind of pre-sales time and thinking about you know, what am I going to address with this customer given where they are in their purchase process um, becomes really important. And, and I think, you know, uh, early stage selling, really trying to understand, you know, what is the thing the customer should be focused on that they're currently not? What's the thing they've underappreciated? What's the problem they haven't quite gotten their heads around? And really pushing oneself to, to you know, have confidence around, you know, what is that initial angle I'm going to go in based and rooted on the customer's business, not my features and benefits that I'm going to I'm going to use to help them think differently. You know, as you get into later stage, you know, deal pursuits, I think, you know, I would I would really urge kind of sales managers out there to pull up their teams and have you know focused war rooms or collaborative sessions to look at deals that have been stuck mid funnel and say look you know we we have got them excited they have bought in at some level but something has happened 
let's really try to think through precisely what's happened and let's get creative around how to get this deal moving again. And, and I find good managers time and time again run these sessions so well and it just provides the team not only opportunity to think creatively and, and constructively, uh, but to seek out you know, peers' advice and to seek their manager's advice. And it sets just a different cultural norm for that team that thinking about the pursuit is okay, spending time on it's okay. Um, and, and seeking some peer counsel, I think, just becomes so incredibly important to get this almost to a, a cultural way of thinking on a sales team, <clears throat> you know, creatively, critically, innovative ways about how to drive the business forward. Got, so those it, are kind of the two pieces I, I if, think. If I, I like. might, Nick, it, it's got echoes of our, our good friend who I'll, I'll give him a shout out here in absentia, Tim Sanders, in his new book, Deal Storming. It's the Absolutely. same, it's the same idea, isn't it? We've, we've looked at this through what we call sales innovation, which is a very similar sort of concept, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we found sales managers who focus not just on coaching, which, which we often define coaching as, Right. Coaching as a good art form is, is kind of, I'm, I'm sort of leading you to, to, to water, so to speak, as a salesperson, right? Through good questioning, through self-discovery. But oftentimes, as a manager, I know where that conversation's headed, whereas is deal innovation uh, really takes the form of, I have no clue where this is headed. I've never seen it before as a manager. You've never seen it before as a seller. So I can't coach you on I it. I can't coach you on yeah. it. Let's just figure out what the heck is going on here and, and come yeah. up with our best hypothesis and, and best guess as to how to unstuck this, you know, unstick this, this particular deal. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that is something you can teach frameworks around. It is a very exportable, teachable skill, you know, using basic frameworks from, you know, creative thinking frameworks like scamper frameworks or, you know, uh, uh, blue team, red team type of exercises um, just to jar loose some of those thoughts. And, yeah. and really, you know, those managers who, who spend time and energy on, you know, let's just get down and dirty and figure this thing out really do have higher performing teams. I, I, I think... That, that's where I would spend some energy for sure. It's really funny because you guys are all being so polite because I know you all want to jump into this conversation. So much to say. So, Jill, let me, you've got the mic. Let me turn it over to you. No, so, and I, and I yeah. really totally agree with Nick. I've spent a lot of time involved in creative problem solving and coaching teams in that for many years. Um, and also studying how people think in different levels of thinking. And what he's been talking about are, are you know, most salespeople, and when they come in, they're, they're learning that at the comprehension level and the application level of thinking. The next level up becomes the level of an analysis. What do we know about what's going on? What do we actually know? And analysis is crucial. What do we know about the situation, their, you know, the company, the market, the whole condition? Above analysis comes synthesis, which is exactly what he was describing in terms of what are some ways that we can come up with and look at things differently. What other options can we try that we haven't thought of before? Who else can bring ideas and insights to the table that can help us um, be better? There is a final level of thinking that I think we always have to address, and it's oftentimes forgotten in this, and this is the level of evaluation, which is if we do this, how will it be perceived, and the ability to take and put yourself in another person's shoes. And I've seen people, and the reason I bring this up is because I've seen people, you know, like put together a deck, and they've, and they've you know, planned a meeting out in their whole mind, and they literally, as a team, think that they have the best presentation, the best meeting plan than they've ever had, and it's absolutely perfect. But, but it's not from their eyes that this is seen. It's seen through the eyes of their customer and their buyer. And so there's a final step that, that comes from a level of how should we be thinking in terms of if we sat in our buyer's shoes, how would we react to this meeting? How would we react to this conversation? How would we react and, and do it? And what you find when you do that is sometimes your, your verbiage is wrong. Sometimes your sequence is wrong. Sometimes you've done nothing to engage them, but you've been talking because you have to share this because you think it's so blasted important. But there's that highest level of thinking that really puts it in the buyer's shoes 
puts you in the buyer's shoes to evaluate your own work to determine if it will be effective. And then make changes so you don't screw up. Yeah, and, and a good collaborative team should detect that. They should get to that point for sure. Yeah, they should. And the, 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 the criminal thing is that people <laughs> rush to, to do. I mean, we're such an action-oriented uh, profession. That Reactive, it, too. Reactive and action-oriented. We, we think that if we are doing stuff, if we're doing, then we're, then we're making progress. Busy. busy. It's yeah. about being busy. But it's not. It's about doing the right thing and having thought it through so well that you, you really know what's going to happen or you can, you can think of what are the roadblocks you're going to encounter and be prepared. In fact, there's a, there's a name for that, Jill, that we've, uh, which is well documented, at least in behavioral research, is the solutions bias, right? Which is this natural tendency to jump right. So I see a problem, I jump right to a solution. And it, it's it's, it's kind of like going back to marriage counseling, what guys do right. when their wives <laughs> raise a problem, right? Well, in fact, it goes way back, all the way to like, <laughs> you know, and it, it's, into, it's, it's quite literally hard written into our, hardwired into our DNA, really? right? So as you think of sort of back in the days when we're wandering the grasslands and the pampas, right? And we see that shadow on the horizon. We think, is that going to eat me or am I going to eat it? And we've got to make a decision right now, fight or flight. What do I do? And so when you get in these very complex problems, what we're finding is the very best companies have done something very different. They're forcing, they're actually creating mechanisms to operate against that solutions bias yes. by asking, what is the actual problem that we need to solve? And what is the actual problem the customer needs to solve? So they go through diagnostic exercises, root cool. cause analyses, the prompting tools, Nick, that you'd mentioned yep. around sales innovation, asking yourself, are we really clear of what we're really trying to accomplish in Brilliant. the first place before we just start throwing out answers and going after mm -hmm. it in that very sort of, we got to get this done, sort of rush to, the mad rush to, to answers, isn't it? So it's, it's, a, it's a really powerful way to think about it. We've got a number of frameworks we've been sharing around that same idea. You guys have a lot of frameworks. We are, we are framework-rich. You are so rich. smart. Yeah, so you know what yes. we need now is a framework for choosing the right framework, <laughs> which is, is ironic, but it's true. And so we actually now are in the business creating meta-frameworks. Uh, uh, I know, that's pretty deep, isn't it? Or high level, I'm not sure which. But, um, but so let's, let, we're coming towards the end of our time, but I, I, whether it's within this context of complexity and freeing up focus or, or you know, focus on what I do with my focus. But I, I just want to ask a broader question and, and, uh, and I'll tee it up and then talk about it. I'll give you guys a second to think about it. What's just one tip, one piece of advice, one, one suggestion that you might share with sales professionals out there, you know, within this broader context of our conversation today? I'm sure you've got many, but uh, Jill, you're looking at me like you got one right on top of mine. So I'm going to come to you first. Slow, Slow down. down. Slow down. Slow down. Yeah. Are you talking to me right now or is that your tip? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would say yes. That's the, exactly the answer. Slow down. Slow down. Honestly, yeah. we, we're rushing too much. Just slow it down so we can do what's right, so we can think. So just slow it down. Yeah, that's a great one. Uh, yeah, okay. Lori, let's come to you. Prioritize. Don't rely on your manager to do your job for you. You, you need to know what it is that's going to help you reach your goals. Um, I, I've spoken before about how I had 23 managers in my sales career, and some were awesome and some were not awesome. <laughs> I was going to say awful, but <laughs> they, uh, you know, so I, I couldn't rely on the systems in the company to, to help me to get things done. And so if I can do that as a rep and prioritize, and of course, I, I want to see the leaders helping the reps more too. Great advice. Nick? I think the the one boy the one piece of advice I would give, particularly sales teams directly, is is really try to simplify their customer's job in this purchase process as much as they can. I think it's not not only is it just for the sake of being a good steward um, to the customer, but 
it kind of goes back to Brent, your point earlier around having some degree of empathy for what the customer is going through. And by doing so, I think you increase the opportunity uh, and the chance that the customer is going to pick up on the unique attributes that you have to bring to the table. If I can really help them slow down and process their problem, understand what they can do about that problem, understand the best course of action around that problem, the chances of them really hearing and understanding what makes my solution different um, comes to life. And I think at the same time, you know, you, you get rid of all those oddball configurations, trying to stretch my capabilities to try to match some far-flung, you know, customer requests, which adds the complexity back in as a, as a salesperson and, and doesn't let me move on to the next opportunity. I, I continue to have to work through that same one time and time again. And so I think just, just sort of lifting up, I, I, I love Jill's advice from this, the point of view of, of slowing down and Lori's advice around prioritizing. And I would say it's just, you know, slow it all down, prioritize what you can do to help the customer best approach their situation. And in turn, that'll help you slow yourself down, slow down all the noise, all the, all the complexity, and it just, it makes the system work better. As a quick recap of the advice from the panel, Jill suggests to slow down and think about what the customer is thinking about. Lori advises salespeople to prioritize what's most important to their success and Nick advises sales teams to try to simplify the job of the customer in the purchase process as much as possible. So slow down, prioritize, and simplify. This was a really great panel discussion, and I hope you have learned a thing or two from this roundtable interview. Our thanks to Brent, Nick, Jill, and Lori for participating and sharing their insights, and to you, our listeners, for following along. This roundtable interview was recorded in Las Vegas, Nevada at the CEB Sales and Marketing Summit and edited at the Technology Advice Podcast Studio in Nashville, Tennessee. To listen to more episodes of B2B Nation, check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes. And to learn more about the show, you can find us on Twitter at technology underscore ADV or online at technologyadvice.com. Thanks for listening.